know. God is. God is. Come on, come on. He promised. You'll never. Y'all better let go. just lost control in the law. I wonder when was the last time you stopped trying to hold it all in, put everything in the box that you put it in. I wonder when was the last time you just used to sing a song called I Surrender All. I wonder when was the last time you surrendered everything. We live in such a box-making society. You can only act a certain way in certain places under certain circumstances. So much so that sometimes church don't even feel like church. But this is a, a hospital. The folk come in here hurt. And every now and then, if you walk through a real hospital, you'll pass a door and somebody's screaming. Well, that's how it ought to be in here because I know some of y'all got some stuff going on that just makes you makes you holler. You know, we got better help now. We can call online and talk to a therapist about what's going on, but the truth of the matter is, in our community, we haven't always had access to resources like that. We haven't always been able to go see counselors, see a psychiatrist or a psychologist about what was going on with us. In fact, we were so limited in where we could actually express ourselves that the only place we had where you could come and really express yourself was in the church. It was in the church that Mr. Andre could come after the toughest week he's ever had in his life 
and Mr. Andre could just holler. How many of y'all know sometimes you just need to holler? You just need to scream. And you can scream in church and nobody thinks it's wrong. Nobody thinks something wrong with you. You can just holler. I tell you, church is better, better when folks just holler sometimes. Don't be so composed. Let it fly. Let it loose. That song haunts me for 18 years from the very first day I got here. Installed. We've been singing God Is. And I love the iterations of it. I do. I do. I love it. Because I can remember one of the first times that I heard it. Lord have mercy. Sandra Urquhart was playing the organ. And her husband was here singing the song. These people in here don't even remember the Urquhart. And they were so invested in such big members of this church. And I can vividly see her playing and him singing. Um, that song, long before it, and me. And so I love that about God, that he just keeps on giving you new versions of the same classics. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Because now I can't hear that song. At a certain point, I'm going to hear and it. With that really, really high soprano voice singing that part. I mean, that's just the way it is. And I'm thankful for that. Get you some memories like that. Because I can sit at home by myself and preach to myself if I simply say, God is. We can have church all along. I want to share something with you before I step into this next sermon in the series. I know we're running over today, but that's all right. It's just called church. Since I was uh, injured in the fall of February, I've had kind of a goal to be able to be mobile enough to be able to make an event that happened this month, um, last week as a matter of fact. Um, I've been fairly active for a while now in the American Bar Association and have been a part of a particular conference called the Specialized Judges Conference um, in the Judicial Division of the American Bar Association. There are different conferences. Federal judges, administrative law judges, state trial court judges, and then there's a group called the Specialized Judges that encompasses municipal court judges, which I am, probate judge, tribal, military. At any rate, been winding my way through each year progressively uh, in different leadership roles, but I was due by calendar and by activity this August to become the chairperson of that conference. Uh, and so it was important to me to be able to get to Chicago uh, for that conference this year in Chicago. And glory be to God. 
I've been in Chicago since Wednesday, walking all over the Windy City in the booths. Um, but I was there. I talked it over with my surgeon about the best way to maneuver that. He wanted me to take my knee scooter with me, but I didn't. And that was the best decision because I would not have been able to maneuver uh, in all the places on the knee scooter. Um, travel by flight has changed so much. It used to be uh, adventurous and fun, and now it's tiring and wearying. Attitudes are frayed, um, so I'm glad I didn't have that to deal with. But yeah, so effective um, Friday, I became the chairperson of the Specialized Judges Conference of the Judicial Division, the American Bar Association. I'm excited about that because I get to meet other wonderful judges from all over the country. We get to share ideas. And, uh, it's a year's term. I won't be finished being involved at that point, but I get a chance to, to do what little boy from LNC uh, can do to help frame our conversation. Um, a lot of the judges that you see on TV making presentations come out of this conference. In fact, um, part of this conference Happy to say was um, judge named Michelle Child. We worked together last year on a conference on judicial outreach. And it's at the same time that she was being vetted by Joe Biden to be the next Supreme Court Justice of the United States. And so the fact that people who work get noticed and people who work don't mind working. You know, no job is too small for them when they're working. She's like that. She's from South Carolina. <clears throat> and in the end, it was down to her and Katanji. Of course, Justice Katanji got it. But that's okay because uh, now Judge Childs, who was a district court judge in South Carolina, is now on the D.C. Circuit, which is the, the, the court right below the Supreme Court. So she didn't come out bad. And in those are lifetime appointments. But what I'm telling you is the caliber of those judges is just amazing. And they're just folks. When you talk, they're just people, children. They got to leave, take their children to, you know, to volleyball practice and that kind of stuff. And I think we, we, we sometimes put people too high on pedestals. And I'm, I'm, I want you to know that it doesn't have to be that way. And when we put them high on pedestals, it makes our, make, makes our children think that they can't reach that. And the, the bottom line is they can be anything they want to be. As long as they're willing to work hard and apply themselves, make good choices, then they can rise to whatever heights uh, the Lord allows them to, to climb to. And so I want to share that with you. We started a sermon series a couple of weeks ago called Knowing God. Knowing God. Yeah. We sing the song, God is, but... The obvious question we have to ask ourselves, God is what? What is he? And the only way we can know who God is, is as he reveals himself to us. And he has done so in, such, in numerous ways. Throughout the Bible, he's shown us in various ways who he is. And studying his characteristics gives us a clue in how we can approach him and deal with him because he's done it to other people. And I'm a firm believer that what he's done for other folks, he can do for me too. He will under the, uh, uh, 
right circumstances. And I know this, he'll do it for you too. And in Exodus, Exodus chapter 3, we see the revelation of God in a new way, one that has never happened before. And he is dealing with one of the patriarchs, the most well-known people in the Bible, people who are not even in, uh, not even Christians have heard about this man and the stories that come about from his life, but they may not know all the details of it. I'm talking about Moses. People know the name Moses and they, <clears throat> they speak about him. Moses got to know God in a special and unique way. And it's because of the mission that God had for him. And so in chapter 3 of Exodus, verse 14, I want to lift this up for you. Moses and the Lord are, are speaking. And it reads, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Now, let, let me see if I can put that into some perspective so you understand exactly what has happened in the conversation. Look at this now. Moses is having a conversation with God. Caleb, you can talk to God, all right? You can talk to God, and God will talk to you. I want you to understand this. Now, it may not be under the same circumstances that Moses had, but that's what we call prayer, talking to God. And you build your relationship so that you know when it's God talking back to you. Make sure you understand, though, who you're talking to. Because talking to God ain't like talking to your sister or your mom and dad. He is, of course, God. And that's one of the problems we have today. We want to be too common with God. Yeah, too common. In the Old Testament, if you did something in somebody's name or you called upon an individual's name, that was a serious matter. Serious matter. You did something. In the name of, you need to make very sure you have the authority to do that or else you'll have problems. When the scripture tells us to call on the name of the Lord, then what we're actually doing is inviting the Lord to come into that space, come into that situation and utilize all that is at his disposal, which is everything, for our benefit and to allow the situation to move in a positive manner. We read in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 26 that it wasn't long after the creation of the earth and mankind that people started to, watch this, call on the name of the Lord. In other words, they realized that in this whole process of living, there are certain things that we can't do by ourselves and we need help. And they realize that the way to get that help is to call on someone bigger, better, more powerful than you. And the one they 
called on made sense then since they were intimately involved with him was the name of the Lord. Whenever in your scripture, if you got a Bible there, this is why it's important for you to have a physical Bible. All right, physical Bible. Grandmama, mama, granddad, everybody, get Kaylin a Bible. I know she's got a Bible app. Okay, there's nothing wrong with that. She can take that with her anywhere. But a physical Bible will help her. Let me tell you why. Because there are some helps in those Bibles that help you understand what's being done. Whenever you see Lord, L-O-R-D, in all capital letter, letters in the Bible, then what it really is in the original is the word that we're studying today, Yahweh. Yahweh. So L-O-R-D in capital letters is Yahweh. Now this means something. I want you to understand this. This means something. Not to be taken lightly. Okay? The name Yahweh was given to us in scripture and to show you the importance of it, it was used more than 6,800 times. That's a lot of times to be. So we know who we're talking about when we use the name Yahweh. They also did not use that name flippantly. Reverence, that means respect, was involved in using the name Yahweh. I'll tell you how serious they were. The name Yahweh was considered so sacred that the scribes, those are the ones who had to write out the original manuscript by hand, they treated the name Yahweh so seriously that they would take a bath beforehand and then after they wrote the name Yahweh, they would destroy the pen that they used. This is how serious it was. They didn't play about that name. The Jewish people held this name in such high honor that they would come, when they would come to it, when they were reading, they would not pronounce it for fear that they might be offensive in the pronunciation of God's name. In fact, no one deemed themselves worthy enough to actually say Yahweh out loud. Think about that now. It was so revered that it was only said out loud once a year. That was on the Day of Atonement when the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies. And then he was the only one who would say it. As a way to set this name out from the other names, when it was written, the scribes would only use, you may have seen this written on something, they would only use four consonants. And they would leave out the vowels. All right. So you would only see Y, H, W, H. They would not put the vowels in it because they didn't want to, by chance, offend God. Another thing about this name you need to know. So this name is high, holy, and sacred. It's also pronounced 
in some other scripts, Yahweh is also the name we use when we say Jehovah. Jehovah. All right? Jehovah. Let me see if I can tell you why this is hard for us to understand. Today, the reason why we struggle today understanding the seriousness of this is because of how you look at God. We have used God in so many ways that we have diminished who God really is. You go on TV and there's somebody acting and they say they're God. They even make movies in the name of the movie, Oh God. Yeah, some of y'all, when you think about who God is based on when you were an adolescent, think about Morgan Freeman acting as God on a movie. Or you might think about, we used to think about George Burns walking around saying he was God, smoking a cigar. This is, this is how irreverent we are. And it starts to frame our worldview on who God is. We have made him into a caricature in Cartoons, which we grew up with, you would see a little bit of old man with a long beard and a staff. And that's who you thought God is. And, and, and we can go on and on. I can't even imagine how many ways he's depicted in comics now and in cartoons now on TV. Whatever the case, he is so diminished that we forget we're talking about the creator of the universe. We forget who we're talking about and we make it such that we can accept him in this form because God is so dynamic that in his true form we know we don't stand a chance in being able to deal with him. We are flippant. God's name has become part of our slang. We swear and we include his name in it regularly. Now think about this. Initially the scribes would take a bath before they would say his name. And now you walk down the street and hear somebody holler, G-O-D and whatever else after it. And then we wonder why it's hard to teach people who he is. It's simply how we deal with it. You hear him, his name being used more in swearing than you do in supplication or praying or praying. People denigrate him by making unfair accusations against him or by thinking too little of him. The third commandment tells us clearly commandments are rules that were given to us by God himself to Moses, as a matter of fact. And in those rules, the very third one, we call them commandments, you'll find it in Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, says this. It says, do not take God's holy name in vain, that you shall not misuse the name of the Lord, Yahweh, your God, for the Lord, Yahweh, will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Let me see if I can put that in today context, okay? I guarantee you if I ask you right now to name somebody who called you out your name one time, you remember. Yeah, somebody who, who, who talked bad about you. Somebody comes to mind immediately, immediately. In fact, it's the foundation of a whole lot of stuff that goes on right now. 
You don't even have to know the person. They could type something on your, on your uh, DM you, direct message you, and call you short or something. You mad because they say something that's disrespectful to you. Or they could say, sir, the Lord, if they say something on your personal profile about you that's negative. You remember who that is. You might not even know their real name. They're using their screen name. And you're mad at that person because of what they said. And we get mad over those things. And we wonder why God would be upset because we disrespect his name. We, 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 we're in the same place. We're in the same place. I always jokingly say, you may have heard me allude to it, <clears throat> that uh, I know there's a problem when somebody calls me short. All right. But really, that's only half true because I know if they're calling me short, something comes after short. That's going to be really, really negative. And that's the problem. And so my bailiffs know I say that all the time when I, if I've had to put somebody in custody or whatever. And when they come back, I'll ask the bailiff, did he call me short? And they'll say, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. He called you. He called you short. We're told not to take the Lord's name in vain. But what I want to advise you to do today is get God out of this box you got him in. All right, we got him in a box, and the box is so small. You can't put God in a box, and yet, by our mind's eye, that's the only way we can deal with him because he is so immense in who he is. The trouble, according to one writer, that we have today is that we haven't found a God big enough for our modern needs. Yeah. In other words, we need a God who is all things under all circumstances that we want. Yeah, let me see if I can if I can bring you a modern way of looking at him. For most of us, our view of God hasn't changed since we were kids. We still look at him that way. We haven't gotten a mature relationship with him. And so the same images that I mentioned a few minutes ago, that's how we still see him. We think God is just the kind of police dude who stops you from doing anything that's fun. And uh, that's how we see him. Or, or he's just an old man who kind of winks, winks when we're, not, when we're doing something wrong. That, that's our version of who God is. Or he's the supervisor who controls every single thing that's in our lives. We don't have a mature relationship uh, with him. He's the, the meek and mild God who seems helpless when I see all this stuff going on around me. I'm saying, how can that be a God if all these folk get hurt under all these circumstances? And then, or more than anything, we look at God in this way. He's our holy vending machine. Yeah, he's our ATM when I need something. God can't help me get these shoes I want. What good is he? Because we have an immature perspective on who God is. He's in, he's in a box. Box is so small. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. What is your personal view of God based on how you've been involved? That's God calling right now. What is your personal view of God based on your interaction with him? Not somebody else's interaction. 
because that's another problem we have. The other problem we have is we base our concept of who God is on what somebody else said. He's my mama's God or my big mama's God or my grandmama's God. And I want to know who God is to you. How have you seen him? How has he interacted in your life? Because that brings us into closer uh, relationship with him. Instead of us fully living out our lives in his image, you know what we do? We try to mold God into our image. We try to make him like us. We want to break him down so it's cool. We call him the, the man upstairs. I want to tell you today, you need to be glad ain't no man upstairs. You, you better be glad we're not depending on a man who is upstairs. We, we can't even depend on the man downtown or the man in Washington. Why in the world would we want a man to be upstairs? And in charge of everything. Because can I tell you, if you're depending on a man upstairs, you ain't going to have access to him. You're not going to have enough resources in your life to get to the man. Man always has to figure out a way to make himself exceptional. Not so with God. God is, in my definition, and whosoever God. No matter your circumstances, you can, you can get to him. But you first have to take him out of the box. The box you have him in limits your trust of him. If he is so small and you have him in this place, and, and what we really do, this is the problem, and I want to free you of this today. We only need God when everything we have runs out. That's when we turn to God. When I've used my contacts, when I've used all my resources, when I've used my knowledge, when I've used my strength, that's when I call on God. But can I tell you, that's not who God is. God is the first one you ought to call on. God is the one who can put you in the place that you want to be in. You haven't even figured out yet how God has done what he's done in your life already. And yet you still try to direct him for the next phase, can I tell you, stop doing that. Let God have his way and let him direct you in the way he would have you to go because he'll blow your mind. He will absolutely blow your mind. You'll find yourself, those of you who find yourself eminently unqualified to do something, you'll find yourself in a job that if you tell the truth, you knew you weren't qualified to do it. You knew you weren't the one that should have gotten a call that said you're hired. And yet God has gotten you in that space. And guess what? You're being successful in it. Not because you know enough, because you trust enough. He's leading you to the folk who can help you do better. And I know I got some folk right now drawing retirement checks on some jobs they knew they weren't qualified for. And God let you work the job all your life. Not only that, you were successful time and time again, and you knew you didn't know what you were doing. Oh, y'all know what I'm talking about. You, you, you know what I'm talking about. You just, the biggest part is showing up every day and saying, Lord, have your way. Show me what to do today. And at the end of the day, you need to have sense enough to say, thank you, Lord, for helping me to dance through this circumstance that I, I didn't know. I didn't know I've had folk hug me after hearings in court when I had no idea what to do for them. Because I got out of the way. 
I got out of the way and I simply listened. And with me and the Lord, we were able to figure out something to help them. Because when you listen, then God can whisper things in your ear that nobody else can hear. That's who he is. But you got to get him out of the box. If you leave him in the box, my prayer, I mean, my problem with that is you're going to leave home one day and you're going to leave him on the box at the house. You're going to find yourself out in the world needing him, but he's in the box at the house. Yeah, you got to have a portable God, one who's with you under every circumstance. And, and, and you ain't got to tell everybody. You ain't got to wear no what would Jesus do bad for them to know. You know, no, no. You don't have to wear a cross so they know. Yeah, God knows you're his. And he knows you're his responsibility. And because he knows you're his responsibility, he's going to look out for you anyway. Any, anybody in here ever had a child in school and one day just by chance you went to the school to see what the child was doing. You didn't tell them. You were coming. Yeah, and you got in a place where you could watch your child away from them seeing you. Because you know as soon as they see you, the, the dynamic changes. Yeah, they start acting in, acting like my mama here. My, my, my daddy here. And so you change the circumstance when they know you're there. But the truth of the matter is God is always watching us. He always knows where we are. You ought to act and walk like God is paying attention to every single thing you do. And when you do that, you'll conform your behavior as if you know God is watching you. You'll conform your conversation because you know God is watching you. Moses is on the mountain moping around. He's in witness protection. Yeah. Moses is in witness protection because he killed a man in Egypt, a man who was trying to kill a Hebrew. Moses had finally come to himself. He had been to a rally. He realized Hebrew lives matter. All right. He was walking around with a T-shirt on. And he saw somebody mistreating the Hebrew. And he said, even though I grew up in, the, in, the, in Pharaoh's house, I can't stand back and watch you mistreat my brothers no more. And so this man was beating a Hebrew. And Moses intervened. And in intervening, he ended up killing an Egyptian capital punishment was due on that. It didn't matter that Moses grew up in Pharaoh's house. The only word that came out was Moses killed an Egyptian. So Moses got out of town. He ran out into the desert, the desert of Midian, and there he met a woman. And the Bible says that Moses ended up marrying this woman, Zipporah was her name, ended up marrying her and working for her father, whose name was Jethro. Jethro had a large estate. So Moses was there, but he was really, come on now, let's put some today context in this. He was really a fugitive from justice. He was a fugitive from justice. He knew that if he went back to Egypt, they were going to arrest him and put him in front of Pharaoh. And so that's why I say he was in witness protection. All right? But you can't hide from God. You can still hide from Pharaoh, but you can't hide from God. And so Moses is up on the mountain one day, tending Jethro's sheep, and God gets his attention. Wild how he did it now. You got God in a box, you say, God can't do this. Moses is standing there, and all of a sudden, he hears God speaking to him. And he looks, and the way God is speaking to him, this is crazy. You say, this can't happen. There's a bush, and the bush is on fire. 
The only problem is, even though the bush is on fire, it's not burning up. It's just on fire. The leaves are still the same. The wood in it is still the same. You don't smell any smoke because smoke is a byproduct of the scientific process that happens when something is burning up. But I just told you, it wasn't burning up. It was just on fire. You didn't even hear crackling because crackling is also one of those products that happens when it's burning up. It didn't burn up, but it was on fire. Anybody in here ever been on fire and didn't burn up? <laughs> God has set a fire on you. Yeah, Jeremiah knew something about it. God told him to preach. He wouldn't go preach. So God put a fire in him, but he didn't burn him up. And Jeremiah told us he had a fire in him because he said it's like fire. Shut up in my bones. I got to go talk about this to somebody. And the only way he was able to quench that fire was by talking about the word of God. And as he did, it's almost like he was extinguishing the fire that was burning in him. Only problem is that fire burned in him the rest of his life. I know what that feels like. When you got to say something, and if you don't say something, it's almost like you're going to burn up inside. Moses asked the Lord in the conversation, what, what you want me to do? He said, Moses, I'm going to send you out of witness protection down to Pharaoh, and I want you to go confront Pharaoh and tell him that I've heard, this is important, God said, I've heard the cries of my people, and I'm sending you to set them free. What does this tell us about this Yahweh, that he's heard the cries of his people? Well, first of all, it tells you that he's personal. He cares about us. He cares about us. It's personal. He's listening to us. You might not. Look, think about all the prayers of all the oppressed people in Egypt who were saying, help us. This is too hard. God didn't answer them directly, Shelby, but he was answering them by sending them relief. You pray, he might not send you a direct message, but he hears you. And relief can come because he's making a way for your situation. He doesn't always have to answer you directly to bless you. And that's the circumstance we find right now. He's personal. Not only is he personal, he's present in our lives even though we think of him as high, lifted up in some celestial plane somewhere, I'm amazed that this same God knew exactly what was happening in Egypt. He knew it. He's present in our circumstances. He knows what's going on with you. Guess what? God getting ready to go back to school too. He's already there. He's already moved into your dorm. Yeah, he already knows what's going to happen. In all of the cafeterias, he already knows what he, what he does not like, though, is when everybody comes into the cab for him to have to sit by himself. He doesn't like that. He likes to be invited into the conversation. And it's okay. You can bring him into your conversation. In fact, you can say, Lord, thank you for this food you've given to me. That makes him know he's welcome. You can go to your house, and you don't have to sit him in the Bible, in the living room, under the table with the plastic steel on it. You can bring him out and let everybody know that comes in there that that's for me and my house. We serve the Lord, not just in the Bible, but in what we do. You can let them know this is a place where God is welcome. He's welcome in all our conversations. We thank him 
for everything that's going on in our house. This is how you can welcome him into your home. And it's good because he's present in your life. He's present. There's nothing worse than the feeling of being alone. There's nothing worse. But if you have the Lord in your life, you're never really alone. He's always, always with you. The absurdity of what God is saying to Moses is that Moses reacts the same way you or I would react. All right? If I told you right now, David, go down and tell Sheriff Mark Petway to let all the folk out of jail. Go, go, go down there. Tell Mark, let, let my people go. What in the world do you think Mark is going to do when you say that? He's going to do what you just did. He's going to laugh. And that's what Moses said. When I go and tell Pharaoh, let the Hebrew people go, we're talking about three, four million people. We're talking about the economic engine of Egypt. We're talking that if Pharaoh lets all the Hebrew people go, his free labor force leads with them. The whole country is destroyed by letting all the Hebrew people go. And Pharaoh is going to look at Moses and, and as if he's out of his mind. And so Moses has the same response. And it's weird, Theophil, because he's standing there listening and looking at this bush that's burning. And he says, well, who am I going to tell them? sent me because they're going to ask me. Pharaoh is going to ask me if I can make it past the guards, if I can make it into the inner court before they arrest me because even though it's been 40 years, they're still looking for me. They know me. Why? Because I grew up in the palace with Pharaoh. Pharaoh knows me on sight, so if I can make it in there to him, what am I going to tell him when it comes to who sent me? And that's when you get this statement. First of all, God almost sounded like he was Offended, but he, he that's a human trait. He ain't got no reason to be offended because he stands in solitude to himself. I don't have to answer to anybody. God says, he said, just tell them I am. Just tell them I am. I am sent you. I am sent you. Dada, you go down there. Tell them Andre sent you. Tell him Andre sent you. And Lindbergh, you're going to have to go down there and get David out. <laughs> All right? Because that ain't going to work. Because there's no power behind the person who's making the, quest, the request. But when God tells you to go do something, when the creator of the universe tells you to go do something, when Yahweh says, go do something, what he says is, even though you're going to be my mouthpiece, I'm making it happen. So it doesn't matter what any man, including Pharaoh, says to you, if I want them free, they're going to be free. I'm simply, watch this is what God said, extending him the courtesy of doing it before I make it happen. The entire episode beyond that point is about God showing Pharaoh who's in charge. He strategically tears down 
everything Pharaoh depends on to let him know that you're not in charge of nothing. I'm in charge of it. Moses is simply the news reporter. That's all. That's all. If there was, you know, an Egyptian nightly news, Moses is just reporting the news. That's all every day because he's not making the action happen. He's just a mouthpiece. And that's how we are sometimes. When God tells you he's going to do something in your life, bank on it. Because he wouldn't tell you. He doesn't lie. He can't lie. It comes out of his mouth. It's so. It's so. And so Moses has to decide, do I trust him? And what we learn from watching Moses go through this is that when Yahweh tells you something, when Yahweh sends you on a mission, when the Lord sends you to do something, trust him. Because he's true to his word. He's personal. Not only is he personal, he's present. We found out, and I love this. In fact, I'd love to preach this, but I'm in this names series now. I'm in this character series. There's nothing more powerful than going through the plagues that God put on, is on Egypt and showing you that each one had a point. He didn't just send frogs. Frogs were there for a reason. He didn't just send balls. The balls were there for a reason. Every one of them tore down a system that was in Egypt. And you walk through it, and that's when you start realizing how powerful God is. And I came to tell you today, there's nothing ever created that God can't handle. There's no circumstance. There's no person who can get around God. God is powerful. And he said, this is my name. And you can trust in my name. I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. This is what God says. And that's what God has for you. He has a mighty hand. We see in this Exodus story how God not only shows Pharaoh, but guess who else he shows? He shows Moses. He shows Moses that you can trust me. And from that, we find the last thing, and that's that God is a promise keeper. When he makes a promise with you, he keeps it. We make contracts, but God makes covenants. Yeah, and there's a difference between covenants and between contracts. First of all, a covenant is permanent, all right? Contracts have an end date. They have an, they have an end date. We're more familiar with contracts because we hear that, that time and time again. A contract involves only one aspect of a situation because you can't conceivably write everything down in no contract. But a covenant involves the entirety of a situation. The world provides additional meaning when it comes to the word to cut. When, when in, in the Bible, when you made an, a covenant with someone, two men, Casanova, would cut an animal. They would cut an animal. The animal would bleed. There would be two, one on each side. And the men would walk through the middle of those animals as a seal, walking through the blood as a seal on their covenant. They passed through the aisle. And the idea behind this was that if either party breaks the covenant, then they'd be in danger of being cut, just like the animals were. And so you were actually giving yourself in the covenant. And that's what Yahweh 
wants us to know when he makes covenant with us, he's really given us himself. The question is, are you willing to do the same thing? Moses in later part of Exodus would sprinkle the blood from animals on the altar as an example of the covenants we were making to God. My question to you is, what commitment have you made to God? We always ask him to do stuff for us, and he's a promise keeper. But do you promise anything to him? Do you, do you, do you keep your word to him? Because it's important in a covenant that both parties act justly. It can't just be one way. He can't just be the one giving all the time. You've got to give too. And Moses found that out. Moses found out that God blessed him the entirety of his life. Moses' life was in three parts. First part, 40 years, Pharaoh's house. Next part, in the desert, 40 years, leading the children of Israel. And then he led them, and for 40 years, they wandered in the desert. God had already told him, Moses, you're going to see the promised land. But watch this. Moses messed up. And since God is true to his word, he didn't let Moses go into the promised land. Why? Because that's how good God is. He, he's going to give you what he said he's going to give you. But he was good enough because Moses had been so faithful to let Moses see the promised land. He took him high on the mountain. I love this about him. He took him high on the mountain at the end of his life. The Bible didn't even say that Moses was sick. It said Moses was still of good age. He took him on the mountain so he could look over into the valley and see the promised land that he told him he was going to take the people to. And Moses got a chance to look into the promised land and see all that God had promised, the greenery and how vast it was. And then the Bible says that God kept him there. He died there. He didn't even let Moses go back to the people. He let Moses die there and did not even allow the people to know where Moses was buried. The reason he didn't let them know where he was buried is because they would have made a shrine out of his tombstone. They would have made a track to where Moses was. And what God wanted the folk to know is it wasn't Moses. Moses was the mouthpiece. It was me doing this. Some of us are still standing at graves mourning mama when mama trusted in the Lord to take care of you. I know this. I know this. I've had to divorce myself of that process of just standing there weeping because mama is with the Lord. Why am I in Zion Memorial? Why? Some of you need to get God out of that box and know that the same one that kept your mom can keep you and take good care of you. He'll bless you like he did your mama. How do I know it? And I'm out of here. You know this because Jesus came and validated. The Bible said that the one who was the Messiah would be able to come. And one of the indicators that would tell you that he, in fact, was the Messiah would be that he would be able to pronounce his name. He would be able to pronounce the name of God. And Jesus came in and made sure that everybody knew. Now, I told you how reverent Yahweh was. I told you everything they did to make sure that they didn't, uh, they didn't have a problem in pronouncing it. They just didn't pronounce it. But here comes Jesus. Jesus wants to make everybody know 
that I was sent here by my father to do my father's work. Jesus wanted everybody to know that even though I was sent here to do my father's work, I want you to know that I'm connected to him. The work that my father has me doing is my work too. In fact, the Bible says that Jesus created everything for his father. And so when you're looking at me, Jesus said, you're looking at the father. Now, you know that blows folks' mind because you got to be out of your mind by saying you're God too. But Jesus wouldn't stop there. He gave them eight instances where they didn't have any doubt that he was claiming that he was, in fact, God. I know you've heard it before. You probably didn't pay any attention to it. But the story behind him saying this is God is uh, Jesus is tying himself right back to God when he tells everybody that I am the bread of life. When he tells everybody, I am the light of the world. Watch this now. He's claiming that he's God and he's the light of the world. He said, I am the gate. And nobody can come to my father unless they come through me. He said, I'm the straight gate. And there's a way unto man that seems right, but the end thereof is destruction. You got to come this way if you want to get to him. He said, I am. Not David. I am the good shepherd. He said, I am the way. I am the vine. I am the beginning and the end. I am the alpha and the omega. And then I love this, and this is why I'm gone. Now he said, I'm the resurrection and the life. This is before he even went and wrote his will in front of John and his mom. Before he even got on that cross, he let everybody know, I am the resurrection and the life. I am. Other men wouldn't even say it. And Jesus shouted it out. I am. Eight times in scripture, he pinned himself directly to God the Father. Yahweh. He's personal. He's present. He's powerful. He's protective of you right now. If you've never given your life to him, if you've never said, here I am, take me, make me a part of your family. And Jesus is standing in front of you today saying, I am waiting for you to come be a part of my family. If you're here today and you, like Caitlin, decided that you want to give your life to the Lord, then now is the opportunity for you to come. The same God that Caitlin said she trusted, she trusted him. I'm suggesting you, you trusted him as well. I found him perfect for every situation. Elders of our church are coming to welcome you. But if you're here today, the doors of our church are wide open. Whosoever will, let them come right now. Maybe you've got a church. Maybe you've already been baptized. You're looking for a church family. I offer our home to you at the starting. Whosoever will, right now, let them come.